Masechet Sukkah, Daf 35. Uh, we are examining the Mishnah that we left off on, on 34b at the bottom, regarding Etrog and the various um, things that make it unfit. And these, uh, the ones that are general, are general, but the ones that are particular to an Etrog have to do with it being a fruit. And so we saw that something that is Orla, Tehora. All those, um, so the, some of them are pasul, some of them you shouldn't take them, but if you take them, it's okay. Uh, demai is a machloket. Um, and then we got to other items that are, have a blemish, so it's a chazazit, a boil-like blemish. If it's on most of it, it's no good. If it's on a, a minority of it, it's okay. Uh, so th- these are all the uh, cases we're going to deal with. I'm going to bring sources and reasons for each of them, uh, and uh, many of them have the same reason, and so we can see how it weaves through uh, all of them. So we begin the Gemara at the top of the page, Tenora Banan. Peri ayes hadad. Ayes sheta meso peri shaveh veomer ze etrog. So what is an etrog? The Torah just says peri ayes hadad, which if you only had the Torah Shebikhtav, you'd say, I don't know, any any nice fruit, whatever your favorite fruit is. In the Chemya, we saw it looked like they took olives. Um, however, based on oral tradition, we know it's an etrog, but how does that fit with the pasuk? So we're going to bring a couple of uh, possibilities. So number one, why doesn't the Torah just say pity hadad, a beautiful fruit? Why say a beautiful f- tree fruit? What's the with, the with the word tree? So we answer, um, it has to be a tree that the taste of the tree and of the fruit is equal. Where do you find such a thing? The etrog. Um, so you can try tasting a twig from the etrog tree. Um, it's a citrus fruit. I don't know if it really tastes the same. There's one commentary that says that the what's interesting about the etrog is it has a thick rind. And so the rind, uh, not as so tasty, it was as tasty as the, uh, as the a tree itself. Okay, so etrog fits the bill. Then that's why you would say ayetz. But it's not the only thing that fits the bill. Be'ema pilpilin. How about pepper? So uh, kedetanya. And we're going to now prove that pepper, peppercorn uh, also has this feature that its, it's um, twig, twigs um, uh, taste like it's, uh, itself, like the spice. Kedetanya. Hayada bimeir omer. Kol ayes ma'achal. This is a pasuk that's regarding orla, and it says if you come to the land, untatem kol ayes ma'achal, and you plant any fruit tree, any edible tree, varatem olatod pedyod, then you can't have it for the first three years. It may not be eaten. So you see from the context, the rest of the pasuk that if it says you can't be eaten, and then later on the fourth and fifth year, then you can eat it. You know it's obviously a fruit tree. So why do you have to say kol ayes ma'achal? So that's the question. And you know, the Ayetz Ma'achal, Matamu Domad Ayetz Ma'achal, Ayetz Shetam Etzo Pedyo Shaveh. So we learn the same thing here, that it, the tree has to be edible, that the tree has the same taste as the fruit. Uh, so what, what, what is that? What species has that feature? And that's pepper. So now we have another fruit that fits into the Pedi Ayetz Hadar, the, that the bark and the fruit taste the same. Now, in that context, uh, we learned from this that you, if you, if you, if you uh, plant a pepper tree, I don't know what we call it, pepper bush or tree, then um, it is chayav and ola. You can't eat it for the first three years, um, only from the fifth year on. The fourth year is kodesh. 
So that is true, even though you might've thought it looks like a bush and maybe it's a vegetable and not a tree. So this Tadasha comes to teach you that peppers, peppercorn are in fact a fruit. And uh, so the laws of fruits apply to them of Orla. We learn an additional side point from here that you see how beautiful Eretz Yisrael is a land that's not lacking anything. It even has pepper. Generally, pepper is grown in India, in Indonesia, but it can be grown in some places in Israel. It's good to be self-sufficient and not have to rely on other countries for your spices. Okay, so the point is that we learned here that uh, uh, pepper fits the same bill as pidi ayas tadad. So theoretically, um, why don't we bring pepper as an alternative instead of an etrog? Be a lot cheaper. Hatam mishum The answer is it's impossible, right? You're right. According to the uh, pesukim, uh, it does fit the bill. But it's just not practical. They're very small. The peppercorn. What are you going to do? Take one of them, and you know, take you have your love and your a little peppercorn in the other hand. And you're going to look ridiculous. Um, no one can even tell that you're even holding anything. You want to have a, a, a two, three of them, a bunch of them. So then, it, so someone looks and says, "Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah you're you're waving the the pepper." in singular, so it has to be only one. So since it's not practical to bring one pepper, therefore this cannot be the right option, even though it does have the feature of taste. Good. Okay, so that was the really the only option we're, we're trying, but now we're going to offer a few other ways of reading the, the word hadar, and that all point to an etrog. Uh, so some of them are create more creative. hadad ela hadir revocalize the word and doesn't not hadad as beautiful, but rather adir means a sheep pen. So and how is an etrog similar to a sheep pen? Just like if you go to a pen, you'll see all kinds of animals, adult ones, little child ones, those that are not blemished, they have blemishes, they all live together. So too, with etrogim, if you go look on the tree, you'll see some are big and some are small, some are, 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 are nice and un, un, flawless, and some are blemished. Um, interesting that we're doing here another comparison between etrog and you know, uh, uh, blemishes that, it rely, that have to do with animals and korbanot. Um, okay, good. So that's what's similar, that you have a diversity all in, in one place. Hold on. That, are true, uh, uh, that is true for other fruits as well. I mean, apples, you don't see small ones and big ones and some that, that look nice and some have blemishes. No, the point is that they're all on the tree at the same time. Other fruits, they grow more or less uniformly and you pick them all. If you leave them on the tree, they just rot. So every season has, has, has a new crop. Whereas etrog is different because its rind is so thick, you can leave it on the tree even from one year to the next and it'll stay and just grow more. And so the new ones from the next crop will be little babies and the old ones from the last previous year will be big. So at the same time, you have big ones and small ones. That is unique to etrogim. And that is why pedi etz hadir must apply to etrogim. Uh, okay, you see obviously that they uh, probably know etrog was used 
for, for uh, many, many uh, generations. And so now they're um, reading it back into the Pasuk um, based on what they know with, that we use already. Rabbi Abahu Amar, Hadar Ela Hadar. Okay, this is right. You edit uh, and make it a the, so not beautiful, but rather that dwells, that the one that is dad that dwells. You want to find the species that it can remain on the tree from year to year, which is a trog. Another, um, it seems that the, they didn't always pronounce the gutturals and it, it, it furthermore didn't distinguish between he and aleph. So you can take he and make it idur. Because in Greek, uh, we call water idur, right? Which is true. Um, English word water comes from hydra, which we also have, uh, you know, hydroponics, uh, hydroelectric. Uh, all, all that means it comes from the Greek word for water, which is in fact udor. And so this is really fascinating that we, we can make a derasha based on a Greek sound from the Hebrew Bible, um, as, if the, as if the Hebrew somehow contains within it Greek, um, we should remember that Greek had a special status for the rabbis, that the Septuagint, uh, according to some opinions, you can only write it, uh, translate it into Greek. You can even write a Sefer Torah in Greek and it's kosher. Uh, so um, it also shows how much Greek they knew that they automatically make this connection. <clears throat> um, okay. Maybe actually you don't have to not, not pronounce the he, because hydra, you know, in, in some pronunciations, at least in, uh, in Greek, it could be uh, with the H also. Um, okay, good. So that's really fascinating. Anyway, what's the point? That it's a hydro uh, plant a tree because the etrog needs a lot of water. So it can take, it needs all the water it can get from irrigation, from rainwater. You got to keep bringing it all kinds of water. Uh, so it's a very thirsty one. So that applies to etrog. Excellent. So now we get to the next uh, part of the Mishnah, which said, Ashel Pasul. This applied actually to all the Arbaminim, that if it's from idolatrous tree or from a city that um, that many of the most of the people are following idolatry and is condemned to be destroyed, that's no good. But this is the first time we're actually bringing the source, we, even though we mentioned it before. Since both the Ashadat tree and the city are condemned to be burned, we consider it like it's already burned and the measurement is crushed. You need a measurement of three tefachim at least, or four tefachim, or a trog has to be, right? Remember, we saw there has to be some measurement bigger than a, than a walnut, than an egg. And if, you, if it's condemned to be burned, we consider it as if it's already not there, it's just ashes. And so the problem is that it doesn't have a proper shiur. Okay, that's a kind of uh, very legalistic explanation. Um, you might just think that, well, you're just not allowed to bring it because, um, because avodah zarah, I mean, it's kind of like bringing uh, avodah zarah for a korban. Okay, but anyway, that's the reason here. Veshel ol orla pasul. Okay, now, if you have an etrog that grows growing on a tree during its first three years of growth, that is orla. You're not allowed to eat it. You're not allowed to derive benefit from anything that's orla. You can't sell it. You can't burn it for fuel or anything. So what's the reason why you can't uh, use it for um, etrog? After all, mitzvot, lav lehanot nitnu. When you do mitzvah, you're not benefiting yourself. You're, you're doing something for a mitzvah. So what is the reason? Ma'ita ama, pedigi barabi, hayabar abin verabi, ase. 
אחד אמר לפי שאין בה היתר אכילה ואחד אמר לפי שאין בה דין ממון. So we have two אמוראים and each one said something, we're not sure who said which, um, it's going to turn out that uh, it follows the right order. The first rabbi, Rabbi Chia, we're going to see later on, he's the one that says the first opinion, um, that the problem is because it can, you cannot eat it. Uh, so this is interesting, uh, even though you're not eating the etrog until after the holiday, you make jelly out of it. On the holiday, we're not eating it. Nevertheless, it has to be something that you can eat. Um, lachem doesn't only mean that you have to own it, but it, you have to, it has to be something that you can consume and that you can eat. Otherwise, it's no good. That's the first opinion. The second opinion, which we'll see, is in fact the opinion of Rabbi Aser, says, is because you don't own it. You cannot get any benefit from it, so it has no monetary value. And it has to be yours. Uh, so that's the two opinions here. And most of the additions, they are in this order, A, B, and then A, B, although some manuscripts, the order is different. So just because it has this order doesn't necessarily mean that the first one said the first and the second one said the second. It means that we're not sure who said which, and we're going to try to uh, prove who said who said which one. All right. When we first read these two opinions, our assumption is that the one who requires that it can be eaten does not require that you own it. And, um, uh, and whereas the one who says you can, you have to own it, doesn't necessarily, does not require that you um, have, that you are allowed to eat it. So there are things that are both ways. There are, there are lots of things that you're allowed to own, even though you can't eat, like you know, most kosher, unkosher food you can own, even though you can't eat it. And there are things that are the other way also. So that's what we're assuming right now. And let's test it out. Tenan. Shel terumat teme'a pesula. Our Mishnah uh, mentioned on the list that if something etrog is terumah, that means you had you had a whole harvest of etrogim, and you have to take, right, you know, one, two, however many, and give it to the clan. You, you designated it as terumah, and it became tameh. Touch something tameh. Now, this terumah teme'ah, terumah only a kohen can eat. Terumah teme'ah, no one can eat. A kohen is not allowed to eat terumah teme'ah. He is allowed to burn it for fuel. So let's test this out. Uh, this is Pasul. Shapir, according to the first opinion above, that says that that you cannot eat, you cannot use for the mitzvah. So cannot be eaten. Therefore, it makes sense why it cannot be used as an etrog. But according to the second opinion that says the problem is only that you don't own it because um, it it's not has no monetary value. So, but this, uh, right, that's what he said before. Um, however, that regarding orla, but that orla is true. You can't eat it or to get benefit from it, but it's not true for terumatemea. you can burn it under your, you put it under your pot and use it to for fire. And you are allowed to get benefit from it. So therefore, since you can own it, why would you say, and it has value, why do you think that you can't use it as a, for a mitzvah? So that's a question on the second opinion. Therefore, we're going to re- redefine the machloket up here. Everyone agrees that if you can't eat it, you can't use it for a mitzvah. The only machloket is, do you also require that you own it? 
or is it enough that that you can eat it even if you don't own it? Uh, so we're circumscribing the machloket. So they only argue regarding owning it. What the first opinion says. You only have to need to be able to eat it. You don't need to own it. And the second, and the second one says you have to be able to eat it and it has to have monetary value uh, for yourself. Uh, so my ben, I, what's a case where they would disagree with each other? Because in the previous case, they, those were all not edible. Now we're looking for something that's edible but that has no monetary value. What is that? Ma'aser Sheni is, when I take my harvest on, uh, on uh, the first and second and fourth and fifth years, uh, that, that fruit I have to bring to Jerusalem and eat it in Jerusalem. Now, what is the status? Uh, do I own it? Chachamim say yes, I own it, it's mine. I just have this restriction that I have to eat in Jerusalem. Rabbi Meir, however, disagrees. And he th- says, Maseh Shani is like consecrated property. Even though you're not going giving it to Kohen or Levi, you're giving it to yourself, but it's, it's holy. I mean, you can see because you redeem it for money and that money can only be used if you live far away, can only be used for Maaseh Shani. So it does, since, it, since it's holy, uh, therefore it belongs to Hashem. It doesn't belong to you. It does not actually have monetary value. So if we follow the Bimeir and we say Maaseh Shani doesn't have monetary, but does not have monetary value, then this fits the bill. According to the first opinion above, that was more lenient. That was Um, So this can be eaten. You're allowed to eat it. You can share it with your family, with your friends, as long as it's in Jerusalem. So therefore, you can take something that you declared as Maaseh Sheni, you can use it as uh, for etrog of mitzvah. However, according to the opinion that says, not only do you have, does it have to be edible to you, it has to also have monetary value that's yours, so Maaseh Shani belongs to God. It's consecrated property, does not belong to you. And therefore, that would be Aseh, we'll see, um, would say that if you follow the Bimeir, who says that Maaseh Shani in general does, is, belongs to God, then you would not be able to use an Etrog Maaseh Shani for a mitzvah. Good. Now here's where we find out who says which. Tisteim did it be Aseh? Okay, must be the Biaseh is the one of those two that says the, the more Mahmir opinion that you have to has to have monetary value to. See, it is good that we went through this whole exercise because uh, by realizing the, the correlation between the Bimeir's opinion and this law, now we can see that the Bimeir is in fact this author who says you have to own it because he's the one that made this correlation and says that Etrog of Maaseshini, according to the Bimeir, since he's the one that says that Maaseshini belongs to God, um, you cannot use it for a mitzvah. So you see that he thinks that you have to, you have to have, has to have monetary value that you own in order for, to use it as a mitzvah. To coin Chachamim, who thinks that Maaseshini is something that you own, just with a restriction of where you eat it. So then you, even a Biaseh would agree that you can use it for a mitzvah because you do own it. Okay, good. 
So um, now we, we, solved, uh, we solved all those uh, questions and we see that there is in fact two opinions about all that, that whole list. Now that we mentioned that a Biase, we're gonna, we're gonna quote his full statement, which actually included a couple of other cases, Gufa. That's what we just mentioned already. Rabbi says opinion regarding etrog. But now he adds, So he's adding also matzah. This is very interesting, right? That the matzah has to be something that has monetary value that you own, according to the Biaset. And therefore, if you take maser sheni, grain, uh, and you make masa out of it. So according to the Bimeir, because it's maser sheni, and that belongs to God, you cannot use that to fulfill your mitzvah of eating matzah on Pesach. Kind of surprising. We never saw this, that you have to own the matzah. We'll, have to, we'll bring the source soon. And according to Chamim, it's fine because you own it. And the third, uh, third case is Isa Shel Maaser Sheni. If you have a, a large dough, you have to take chala from it. If it's all, it's also Maaser, happens to be Maaser Sheni. I declare this, uh, this flower to be Maaser Sheni. And then I make dough out of it. According to Bimeir, I don't have to take chala. Why? Because the whole dough belongs to God. So therefore, I don't have to remove chala and give that to the Kohen, right? And give that symbolically to God because it already belongs, so it would be redundant. According to Chamim, that same Ha'asir belongs to me. I just have to eat it in Jerusalem. So then, yes, I have to take this part and, and give it to the Kohen. Um, okay, good. So that's the three cases. Now let's analyze this. Matkif papa. I understand the last case of chala, since it says that your dough, you have to take as chala. If it's not your dough, then you don't have to take chala. So it makes perfect sense. So if it doesn't belong to you, because it's according to the Bimeir, then I understand it's not yours. What is this? doesn't say you have to take your masa. You can take any masa. Oh, so he's learning a Gezerah Shava. Two places where it says the word Lechem. So it's going to apply specifically to bread. Masa is called Lechem Oni. And regarding um, chala, it says when you go and eat from lechem, from the bread of the land, you have to give a gift of chala. So just like there, it says be'acholchem, and that means it has to be yours and not ma'aseh sheni. Uh, so to hear, masa has to be yours and not ma'aseh sheni. Okay, this is kind of fascinating uh, comparison. Now, so um, now we understand all three cases. And let's bring a, a proof for this, for what the Biasa said. Here you go. Here's a Braita that brings Ribi uh, Meir, who says that if you have dough that's already Maaser Sheni, you don't have to bring Chala because you don't own it. It already belongs to God. 
Chachamim say, Maaseh Sheni belongs to you, and therefore you have to bring Chala. So this should support what the Biaseh said. Now we ask about this. Lema Maseh he he. What do you mean a support? This is the very source of the whole uh, concept to begin with. I mean, everyone agrees with that, that the, about the application uh, between Rabbi Meir and Chachamim regarding Ma'aseh They say it explicitly. Rabbi says Chidush was to say, not only in this case, but also in two other cases. So this is not really a support. This is the, the foundation that he assumed already, but before he said this. Um, Rather, what we meant to say when we brought this b'raita is actually a question, not a support. Our question is, um, since the, we know that the Bime and Hamim disagree regarding um, Chala, would they apply that also to Masah? Or maybe regarding Chala, if you look at the Pesukim, it actually says your dough twice. That means like it has to really be yours, right? To the extent that if it was Masishani, it would be no, it would be out. Whereas maybe Masa, and even if you have a Gizr Ashavat, it's only to one of them, it's weaker. So you own it. But Masishani, you also kind of own. I mean, you're the one, you can bring it and you can decide who gets to eat it in Jerusalem. So maybe you wouldn't make that comparison. Um, so to be said, it does make the comparison, but the point is it's not absolutely necessary. It could be that it would only say his opinion regarding Chala. Okay, so that concludes that section. And now we say, um, We mentioned this already, but now this is now it's now it occurs in the list. Because it cannot be, and everyone agrees that if you can't eat it, you cannot use that etrog for uh, mitzvah. How about if it's teruma, but it's tehora? Well, that actually can be eaten by a uh, by a kohen. So two options um, about why teruma tehora should not be used uh, One opinion says because machshira, you are making it lie, uh, um, susceptible to receiving Tumah. Generally, people would put the Lulav and, uh, and Hadassim and Aravot in water to keep it fresh. And so then you would take it and it's be wet. And then you're carrying, you're holding the Etrog next to it. So the Etrog is going to become wet. And now Tirumah, you're supposed to keep it Tahor because it can only be in the Tahora. You should not do anything that will make it Tameh. Now, even if the Lulav is Tahor and your hands are Tahor and everything, you're making it susceptible to Tumah. And so that is not a good idea. And that's one, one opinion. The other opinion says, because you're damaging it, you're holding it uh, a, a lot. And so therefore the, the peel is going to get dark and dirty. And then the people are not going to want to eat it afterwards. So that's the reason. My Ben Ayu, what would be a practical case that would be a difference between them? For example, when you, when you, say, when you designate Tirumah, it doesn't have to be a whole fruit. You could designate any part of a fruit. You can say half of this apple will be teruma. So if someone says, I want this etrog to be teruma, uh, uh, but only the inside, not the peel. So then only the inside is teruma. So that would be a difference. According to the one who says you're making it susceptible to impurity, if impurity touches the outside, it's going to make the entire etrog tameh. So then you still should not use it. 
However, the according to the one who says you're damaging, you're only damaging the outside, the peel. And if the peel is not tiruma, so then there's no problem with that. You're not damaging the inside. So then you can use it. Okay. However, the tiruma tehora, if you used it, you fulfilled your mitzvah. According to the opinion above, Rabbi Chia, who said, it's any, if it's not edible, uh, then you can't use it. Well, this is edible. A Kohen can eat it because it's tahor, even though it's teruma. So then there's no problem. According to the one who says it has to have monetary value, it does have monetary value, right? The Kohen can take it and he can, uh, he can, uh, he can derive benefit from it. He can sell it. And therefore, um, it does it has both uh, things. And therefore, the avad you can use it. So Tudumat Tehuda really is usable, perfectly usable uh, for the mitzvah. It's just that we add, uh, we, add, we say it's a good idea not to use it for side reasons, just to protect its status as Tudumat. But there's no, there's no Deoraita uh, Pesul for using it as a mitzvah. Okay, now interesting, one shell demai, uh, demai that you receive from an Amahad, it's a regular farmer, and you're not sure of its status, worth was Tudumat Maser taken from it or not. So my tama de betila, betila says you can use it for an, a mitzvah of its dog. Betila says in general, uh, this is a mishnah in Masechet uh, Demai that says according to Betila, if you, if you acquire demai, you're not allowed to eat it. If you're just a regular person, uh, you know, middle-class person, uh, you can't eat it. You have to take to the mom asset first. However, if you're a poor person, or if you're giving it to a poor person, or you're giving it to some soldiers in those days would come and uh, take residence in a place, and you have to feed them. So even if they're wealthy, but they're far away from home, so they like poor people. Betty Lel says you are allowed to feed demai to poor people. And therefore, it, there is a possibility of it being eaten. Theoretically, you can make yourself poor. But you can uh, 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 give up, declare ownerless all of your property, and then you'll be poor, and then you can eat it. So you don't actually have to do that. But since you can do that, it already it applies to lachem. You own it, and therefore, Bet Hillel says, you can use demai. Even a poor person cannot eat the mai. Nobody could eat the mai. Therefore, it's unedible. And we said before, if it's not edible, then it cannot be used for a mitzvah. Um, the next line, does not actually appear in the Mishnah. And this seems to be a false repetition of the Mishnah that we uh, quoted up here for Betilel. Um, so because there's a, there's a repetition here that doesn't make any sense. Um, here I'll show you. Ravuna added Tana. He has a Braita that where the Braita says So the Braita is the is the place where it explicitly says Betchamai is is stringent and says you cannot give demai to poor people and betila says you can give demai to poor people so if the mishnah already said it wouldn't make any sense to quote it in a braita uh, in fact the mishnah does not say both opinions only says the betilel's opinion 
and uh, the this is and you'll see it, in manuscripts it does not have this whole lengthy second quote of the Mishnah. So if you read it that way, right? Betilel says and quotes the Mishnah, and then Bet Shemai says you can't skip this. And Avuna said, then now he's quoting what the the source for Bet Shemai. Then it reads uh, more smoothly. Okay, good. So now we understand about Demai, why according to Betilel you can't take it because theoretically you could make yourself poor and then you could have it. Uh, now, All right, we already discussed this case. I like how the Suga kind of gives, gives all the theoretical structure, all the rules, and then goes back and applies uh, them directly. Um, so also should not become Tameh. So according to the one who says that you are preparing it to become Tameh, you're making it susceptible. So here too, it's a problem. That's why you, you should not use Maaser Shani. Maaser Shani is what you give to a Levi. Um, now, according to the one that says you are ruining the peel, so that would also apply here, that you're ruining the peel, then you're going to give it to the Levi. He's going to say, what is this disgusting atrog? I don't want to eat that. So both opinions, uh, both reasons apply. And that's why the Chetechila, you cannot take... Um, Mas, uh, sorry, this is not, not Levi. This is that you, oh, you would take it yourself, but you're supposed to eat it in Jerusalem. So you should keep it tahor and you want to make it, keep it edible and nice. So um, therefore, both of the reasons apply. So no matter which one, uh, you should not take it. If you did take it, it's okay. Why? If the only problem above was a bichia, that you have to has to be edible. So Maser Shani obviously is edible. You take it to Jerusalem and anybody can eat it there. According to the one that says that it has to be owned. So who is the author of this Mishnah? Ubirabanan, who thinks that Maser Shani you would do in fact own and it would not be to be Meir because he thinks that Maser Shani belongs to God and, uh, and, and not yours. So he could not be the author of this section of the Mishnah. Good. Now we get to the uh, um, the next uh, part of the Mishnah, which is blemishes. Some kind of boil-like blemish um, on most of it is not good. On a minority of it is okay, is the, was what the Mishnah said. Amar of we saw this phrase before, right? Rav Chista says the following, the great rabbi says, when he says the great rabbi, he's referring to Rav, who was, would have been much older than him. And so this is a tradition he remembered from Rav, and he gives a blessing, right? May the omnipresent be of his assistance. So, you know, this is a, a nice introduction to uh, the next halacha, which is, the mish, this Mishnah that says that blemishes on most of it make it unfit, that's only if they're concentrated in one place. That's when it's no good. But in two or three places, then it's okay. Um, perhaps because, here's a picture. Um, maybe it's not as noticeable if it's, you know, because you only see one side at a time. So some is here, some is there. So if it's spread out, uh, even if it's on a, a, the majority of it, it's okay. That's the, anyway, the first version of, uh, of the statement. Um, okay, if you remember, we saw this exact wording before regarding the hadas and the berries on it, right? Is it in one place or in multiple places? So it makes you wonder, did Rav really say this on both 
or did he say it only on one and the Gemara is applying it to both cases? Uh, I think it's more likely they only said it in one case and applying it to both cases. Um, I feel like it's more germane to this context. And then it was, uh, uh, then it was applied also as a principle. Once you say a principle, you say, oh, this principle makes sense there also. So then you might quote it in another place, even if that sage didn't actually say it regarding that context, only in this context. Um, okay, so I think that's what happened here. Anyway, should be the opposite. If it has these blemishes in many places, that is even worse because then it looks like it's speckled and that's not nice at all. At least if it's concentrated in one place, it would be better. So this doesn't make sense. At least the way you remember it doesn't make sense. You know what? Maybe it's actually talking about the sefa of the Mishnah the part that's lenient that says, kasher. if you have blemishes, just a minority of it, it's okay. And on that, we only learn that the law, that if it's on a minority, we're lenient. Oh, that's only if the minority of the blemishes are all concentrated in one place. So it's a minority and in one and in one place, then it's okay. But if it's spread all over two or three places, even if it's just a minority, then that is speckled and it's pasul. So that's very interesting because in the original quote, um, we, the Loshanu was actually making it more stringent and more lenient. And here we're making it more stringent, right? By putting it at, on the sefa, the sefa said, if, if it's in the minority, here we could look at the picture together. Uh, with this. So in this, in this picture, you see it's in the minority. It's only a small amount of spaces that have a blemish. Um, but if it was all in one spot, that would be okay. But now it's in many spots. You look around at it. This is speckled and that is no good. So you see it's actually for stringency. Okay. It's pretty interesting that after you have this whole introduction, right? We're not actually sure what, what it applies to. Um, that happens with these Loshanu statements that they are remembered independently um, and uh, without uh, without um, uh, full confidence of what it was, which word of the Mishnah it was referring to. Um, okay, Amarava kol ve'al hotamo afilo nami pasul. So uh, Rava says, uh, if it's on the hotam, uh, so there's different opinions about what the hotam is. Um, there were, uh, so uh, most say it's referring to the top portion of the etrog from where it starts going in the slope. And so if you have blemishes on that area, even a small blemish is no good. And uh, that's the reason why, you know, people will take magnifying glasses and look especially on that area to make sure that it is, uh, that there's no blemishes in that area. Okay, good. Now the next part of the Mishnah. Uh, so apparently the word pitom was not clear what it meant. And so the uh, Bishak explains that it's talking about the buchna. Uh, Rashi actually brings two opinions. One that's talking about the top, the other is talking about the bottom. Uh, so either way is going to be pasul. Um, so the bottom, only if the, the entirety was completely taken off, then that would be pasul. That's where it grows from. Okay, niklaf. Let's just do one more section. If it was peeled, amadava have de agalid 
ke'ahina sumaka. If it was peeled like a date, like a red date, and so uh, its thin outer peel is removed, but the rest is there, kishera. That's what Ava says. So this is interesting because the Mishnah just said, peeled is no good. And then Ravah comes and says that if it's peeled, it's okay. So Ravah, how could you say that? Depends on how much of it, if it's all of it or a little of it. Uh, a little of it. Uh, I think the meaning of the Gemara is that if it's all of it, then it's uh, no good. But if it's only some of it was peeled, it would be okay. Now she actually says it the opposite way, um, that, uh, that oh, if it's all of it, it's, it's okay. If it's only part of it, it's not good. Because in that case, it looks like it's speckled. And so we'll end here. Tomorrow we'll see more about the, it's being peeled and uh, it's as a comparison to a korban. Uh, and and um, a, a, a pasul regarding animals. Baruch Adonai Lodam, Amen, Amen.